This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society T.R. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is Dr. Jeff Reed, whom I first interviewed on Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air in April 2015. Dr. Reed has been a research scientist for approximately 40 years, specializing in soil-plant relations, crop physiology and modeling. He is also known to a generation of Hawke's Bay schoolchildren as the judge at the Hawke's Bay Science and Technology Fair. Dr. Reed is an honorary research fellow at Plant and Food Research, a past president of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society of New Zealand, chief judge for the Future Scientist category of the New Zealand Prime Minister's Science Prizes, a member of the Zespri Innovation Board, and an honorary fellow of the New Zealand Society for Horticultural Science. Recently, Dr. Reed addressed the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society on biofortifying vegetables, the prospects and problems for improving the mineral nutrient contents of vegetables grown for humans and for animals. Once again, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Jeff Reed. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Lynn. Right up front, please. What do you mean by biofortification? I mean increasing the nutrient content of vegetables or the nutrient concentration. So in in that sense, if you have a nutrient concentration in, say, cabbage of of calcium that might be 2% or 1%, we're trying to increase it up by a tenth of a percent or two tenths of a percent to make it more nutritious for those who eat it. Why, why though, should we be researching this? Aren't vegetables, vegetables, vegetables? Why do you devote so much time researching really on our behalf? I, I, I know that, <laughs> but, but why? Well, in, not so much in New Zealand, but overseas, there was a, a movement back about 10, 15 years ago uh, about the concentrations of mineral nutrients in particular in vegetables. And here in New Zealand, there has been quite a bit of concern uh, expressed mainly anecdotally by people about the nutrition, nutritional value, shall we say, of the fruit and the produce that we eat. And there's been a lot of doom saying that things are getting worse. We decided to take a good look at that, see if it was true and see what the what the likely causes and possible you know, remediation might be. So it, it started particularly in America and then the UK, Italy, 
I believe France and Germany went much the same way of, of checking historical records for the concentrations of things like calcium, magnesium, potassium, protein, and and some vitamins in the vegetables and f well in the foods in general um, that people had been consuming since about nineteen ten nineteen twenty. Over that period of time, what, what we were eating in those days by way of veggies, compared to what we are eating today, is there a similarity? Are the vegetables still the same or have some become unfashionable, so to speak, and have disappeared off the face of the earth? Where do we sit with our veggies? Are you comparing, I was going to say apples with apples, that's wrong, <laughs> isn't it? Carrots with carrots, or are the carrots today quite a different beast? In terms of the variety of vegetables that we have, it's, it, that they come and go in, in fashion. They do, don't they? So, oh, know that. so yeah. there will be times in which things like carrots and parsnips were out of favour and it was all potatoes or something like this. Well, not all potatoes, but a, lo a lot more emphasis on those. They come and go. In terms of the actual quality and the, the appearance of the, the vegetables themselves, yes, there, there has been quite substantial changes. There have been a few that are remarkable for their resilience. Some varieties of things like potato have been much the same. Some varieties of peach and even apple have been much the same for a very long time. But by and large, what we, the consumers, expect from them, we've become a lot more, let's say, discerning. There's a lot more of us that are being more discerning. Um, we tend to want fruit and produce that's cosmetically much more appealing. We also tend to want it that tends to be a bit sweeter these days as well. That, that may well be a fashion that, that comes and goes too. But our demands, by and large, have changed. We do want them to be bigger. With a few, with a few exceptions, rocket apples being a, an interesting That's one right. there, and peas, and peas, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but by you know, by and large, we want things bigger. We t have tended to want um, fruit to be a bit sweeter, or to have other flavour attributes that our grandparents probably wouldn't even have recognised. I suspect, and also, I think. The addition of fertilising chemicals, that sort of thing has changed as well, isn't it? When I was a kid, say you're going back to the 1950s, what we were spraying our vegetables and our fruits with is not what we're spraying everything with today, if indeed we are spraying. That's quite a complicated question right, if, you get, if you get into money. sprays um, <laughs> <clears throat> because, again, that is something that, is, that, that has come and gone, uh, well, come and yeah, it comes and goes with um, the, the nature of the pests and diseases that come in, and they come in in, in, in in waves and so on. Some of those sprays that were very, very heavily used in the 1960s and 70s, for instance, are not used at They've all. They've gone, haven't they? They have gone. And that's good, isn't it? Aren't we a little bit more it natural? Is, and it is very good. We yeah. get, There's a lot more, and this is out of my real field, but there's a lot more integrated pest management there now that reduces the hard sprays that go on. But then we have the risks with international travel and commerce of other fresh diseases coming in for which we have no integrated management. So we're, we're sat here very close to Wattis. Um, Wattis is a good example of where 
they were suddenly bushwhacked by the introduction of certain pests that brought diseases and so on into tomatoes, potato crops and so on relatively recently and that totally upset a lot of integrated pest management. But we are tending to manage those rather than chemically in a more natural way if we can do that. Wherever we we can, yes. When we can. Wherever we can and farmers by and large are very good at um, adapting to those sorts of things. With fertilisers there is there's no doubt that what you said is completely correct. We have relied increasingly on what you might call artificial fertilisers. There is, of course, the the organics um, movement that has pushed back against that, but they are still reliant on bringing things in to the field from outside of the field. It might be from within the farm and so on. There's still a lot of very, very careful nutrient management that goes on, and that is actually much more intentional, considered and thought through in general than than it was 50, 60, 100 years ago. It's good to hear really, isn't it? Oh, it is indeed. There are some consequences that that people want to be upset and rightfully can be upset about with, with some of that. But by and large, the fact that we are so much more aware of what's needed what's going on and what the consequences of not doing it correctly are that's very good when you started out and decided to undertake these this kind of research there's always a huge uh, i suppose a burden of cost that sits with any researcher so you would have had sponsors that were helping you with these costs and the sponsors that are, when, when I look at the ones that you put up on the, the whiteboard at, at the lecture the other night, the sponsors that were there helping you, the, the Ministry of Business, Innovation, Employment, Balance, Ravensdown, and indeed Plant and Food, they're all people who are very heavily involved in the food industry, food science. What did you tell them you were hoping to achieve from the study such that they were prepared to put money into your study? This express study about the mineral nutrition, well, altering the mineral nutrition of plants, that was was mainly funded by Plant and Food itself and the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Mm -hmm. So there, the main focus for them was on the business opportunity of improving the, the the mineral content of certain vegetables and then giving the producers of those vegetables, New Zealand Inc., if you like, a, a market edge yeah. because of the, gen- the, the widespread concern in the world that the nutrient content may well be going down for, for whatever reason. But if you take that back to where this really started. It started from needs of what is, uh, in particular, but the vegetable processing industry and then then the wider vegetable industry um, a little bit later, for finding the more more responsible and economic ways of managing nutrients for their particular crops. And that's what got us into the modelling and it's the modelling of what happens in those nutrients 
I'm sorry, in those crops with those nutrients, that gave us the ability to look much more deeply into how to modify the actual concentrations within the plants themselves. It's one thing to increase yields, it's an, but with using use of fertilizers up to a point, it's quite a different thing to actually increase the concentration of nutrients within the crop and alter the crop quality. One of the researchers that you put up on the board for us the other night to have a look at the work was Greenwood. Duncan, yes. Uh, and I was interested that he was looking at specific minerals as well. And he was looking at what I call really traditional uh, veggies, swede, turnip, radish, parsnips, beetroot, carrot. I don't know if I wrote them all down, but I tried to, my best to write very quickly while you were flicking through all your slides. Was that something for you to build upon? And did you find... It was find an absolute inspiration. Oh, was it? Um, why? why, why well, why? He, he didn't just consider the traditional vegetables. Those were just a few that, yeah. I, could, that I could find. I, I think in that first paper that he put out on this subject, there were 23 different traditional and more recent... Um, more recently fashionable, if you like. He must have had a team of there. good helpers too. He had an astonishing <laughs> team. But they were... He was at just outside of it's near Birmingham, Stratford upon Avon in oh, the okay. in the UK. Yep, yep. And th- what they did was a, really the very very first in the world, not just with vegetables but with biological systems in general. What they were doing with modelling and the quantitative analysis of what was going on in crops was absolutely world leading and. and Duncan was an absolute inspiration to me. When about did they do that research? When? Yes. Oh, Duncan started... I didn't write that down. Oh, Duncan started that probably in about 1970. Right. And so his use of computers for things and and the the sorts of maths that he needed to, to, to use in that was so far ahead of where the rest of agriculture was. Yeah. He, he was uh, an astonishing mind. Did you he, meet him? Did you know this? Oh, I, I met Duncan met several times, mm. yes. He good. gave me some good advice. I'm sure he did. <laughs> it would have helped you. So let's go to the sort of, not so much day one, but when you're looking at what you are personally going to study through this research, and what ticked the box for you to actually get you started? What what was sitting there that you were going to have a look at? Well, two things. We had that this background in the modelling of the crops and the nutrients where we were fairly unusual in that we'd put the growth details of of crops together with what was what was happening with the nutrients. Most other people had kept them fairly separate before. We put that alongside an opportunity that was identified by my colleague Yong Tan that amongst the, the, the this general um, decline that people had thought about with um, nutrients in, in vegetables that um, there was an opportunity there for increasing magnesium content, and that should be easy, we all thought, um, because of the 
widely believed benefits of increased magnesium concentration. Is that why you picked magnesium over? You oh, could have picked yes. several of them. We could have picked several we? others, but the, the, the initial um, impetus came for mag- magnesium and to a certain extent zinc. We never really got onto zinc because magnesium proved so much harder than we'd been led to believe. Interesting statement. You shouldn't have made that one. You should not have made that statement. Why was magnesium turning out to be hard? Well, when we put together the needs of the of the vegetable industry there with what had been going on in the fruit industry to increase, because there is some evidence of magnesium deficiency in grapevines and citrus, particularly down on the East Coast. When we put together the, the, the experience that they had had of trying to increase magnesium concentrations using fertilizers and a range of, of other technologies, um, we had no, ex- no, no idea that it was going to be quite that difficult. Um, there are already large amounts of magnesium in the East Coast soils. Naturally occurring. Naturally, and as a consequence of what we've seen over the years, a lot of growers have been putting magnesium on um, quite almost religiously. It's something that that, that they could see was a problem and fertilisers were one, one or the only way in some cases that they thought that they could... Um, help that. That doesn't just go for conventional farmers, organic farmers. Lots of people were applying magnesium in various sources, either from rocks or from artificial fertilizers, in order to increase the, the, the magnesium concentration of the fruit and the veggies that they were growing. But it proved largely to be wasted effort. Say that again. Approved to be largely largely wasted effort. Wasted effort. Because I, and yet people do do this. You're quite right. Religiously, and you're taught to do it, aren't you? Yes, you're taught to do it. It's going to be beneficial. Well, all the theory that people had available to them at the, at that time was that what you put on the, if you like, what you put on the plant has a very big influence on what you can take take out at the end. But there was a valve in the system that we discovered and that that was within the soil itself, that the, the soil was controlling very, very carefully the amounts of magnesium that were, if you like, dissolved and in the soil water and that the plants could take up. So we could put too much magnesium onto these plants? Um, or into we, the soil for into the, the soil well i i wouldn't say we we'd be putting too much to the point where it would be harmful but we were putting too much in order for it to be even faintly economic yeah it just wasn't working and putting more on was just putting good money after bad in, was just in, wasting in that, it in that sense yes not it, not hurting the plant as such no, in those cases it wasn't. There, there was a fair chance that if they'd gone even further that, that they could have upset a few other things that were necessary in the plants, but not drastically. Um, it's, there are some fertilisers you, you can put too much on and have some adverse effects on the plants. Magnesium was mainly being locked up 
fairly well within the soil. Whilst you were looking at magnesium in the soil and around here with us in Hawke's Bay, were there any, any other minerals that were sitting at a tangent to it, so to speak, that you studied by way of default, that you weren't really setting out to study those ones, but in studying magnesium, you couldn't help but look at those ones as well? Well, or yes, the, 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 the major mineral nutrients, cal- potassium in particular, um, but also calcium, sodium came came into the question and later as we started to invest to, to look for other areas where we might be able to control what was going on in the soil a little bit more it came to our notice rather late that aluminium was an issue as well so but, was there more study to go in this oh there is there is more to go endless i would think maybe that's the if you're going to with move science, from, isn't it? <laughs> I know, but if you're going to move from mineral to mineral, and, and so much effort has gone into yeah. magnesium, what's next in line? Well, the, the main issue with magnesium came down to competition in the uptake process by plants between calcium and magnesium. And the influence of potassium on it and and certainly sodium and aluminium was very minor by comparison and i i don't think that fiddling around with those is going to have much benefit if we can fix what's happening with calcium and magnesium competing then there are there are some big strides that can be made One of the statements that you made right at the beginning of your lecture the other night, which I thought was an interesting statement, was that declining levels of nutrients in soil were blamed on intensive farming. Yes, this... (laughs) You didn't find that, did you? No, and I was... The more I delved into that, the more cross I was at the people who had made those statements. Um... It was the, the, uh, basically, Lynn, the situation had come that there, there became fairly irrefutable evidence that nutrient contents or content, concentrations of certain nutrients were going down over the years. That was immediately blamed on the farmers. Let's kick a farmer because it's. It's his gotta, fault. It's, it's got to be. He shouldn't have yeah, done that. Yeah, they're probably blokes as well. Yeah, yeah right. We'll get, um, and the, the, the truth was that the people making those statements hadn't really looked at the, the mechanisms of what was going on at all. It had nothing really to do with the fertilisers that they were, they were talking about. Um, far, far more likely was the fact that we are harvesting our produce at different stages we want it to be different from the way it was in 1920 or something like that and there is a natural decline in the concentration of those nutrients as the plants get older we're tending to harvest when vegetables and fruit are larger so that the concentrations are going down and that's largely responsible I believe for the decline it has nothing to do with fertilizer use and the statements that were made were fairly unhelpful I would say. So the future for us in the bay because we grow so many veggies here and we grow so much fruit here 
Are our soils looking good or is there still lots more study for people such as your, you and your team left for us to do in the Bay? Oh, I think there's plenty of, plenty of study. There's, it's not so much that we need to study more. It's what are the opportunities that we can address by that, that study? What opportunities can we provide for the horticulture sector? And there are, and maybe what threats we can mitigate. And yes. there are some threats associated with environmental issues. And better applied study, carefully thought through and done, will help sort those things out. But there are still plenty of opportunities to improve what we've what we're doing at the moment. Yes. Good to hear. Thank you, Dr. Jeff Reed, Honorary Research Fellow at Plant and Food Research, Havelock North. Thank you for being my guest on Hawkspace Scientists on Air. If you have never considered the wealth of research being carried out at Plant and Food, please hit Google and spend time scrolling through the links on their site and those associated with the fundamentals of the CRI. There is much of worth available. Similarly, to find out more about the role of the Royal Society T.R. Parangi or the lecture programme presented by the Hawke's Bay branch, there is much online. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet another practising or recently retired scientist from Hawke's Bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.